Do you have more pictures of your goats than yourself on your phone? Does your vacation time get spent attending goat shows? Can you have a conversation without bringing up dairy goats? Neither can we. So join us as we talk to the country's best breeders, judges, appraisers, and industry experts about all things dairy goats. We are John Kane and Danielle Caroli. Welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. Welcome back to another wonderful day of Ringside's Dairy Goat Awareness Week. Today, we welcome back Mark Baden of Olentangy Farm. For those that may be living under a rock, Mark breeds nationally recognized alpines and is also a La Mancha alumni. Mark has raised national champions and best utters, junior national champions, numerous top tens, premier sires, group class wins, and the list goes on. Mark represents District 7 as a director, the current ADGA president and is an advanced judge. If you haven't listened to episode 84, Mark Baden and the 40 Trifecta, maybe pause this episode, listen to that, and come right back here and give this one a listen because you're not going to want to miss it. Thank you ever so much for joining us today, Mark Baden. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back. We are excited. You are one of our most popular guests that we've had on, not only because you rock with dairy goats and you do a lot for this industry, but also not going to lie. You got quite a few downloads for your uh, last episode. So yeah, you, I mean, it, it was a great <laughs> episode and I can't wait to build on it. I, I guess you would say this is part two because it does uh, build upon those traits that were talked about the last time we spoke. So this is a, a good follow-up. People are interested in uh, taking another step further. And I think we summed up who you are pretty well, but one thing we want to know is, have you completed kidding season and how well did you fare? Sadly, I am not done. I have, I have two to go. I have a yearling and a two-year-old and the two-year-old I thought was bred. The, the yearling is by design, you know, sadly, um, I don't like my yearlings to freshen before uh, 14 or 15 months of age. The two-year-old I thought was Brad, and um, it was my favorite yearling from last year. It was raining, and I thought I saw her at the buck fence, and I really wanted to be able to show her at the national show this year. And so um, I'm, I said, I go, well, I know it's going to be late. And uh, so I threw in with the buck, and of course she settled. Um, so uh, I've got a kind of late one. So I still have uh, my yearlings due probably in a week and a half and the two-year-old after that. So um, it'll be just enough time if uh, she recovers well to go to Redmond. So, but yeah, I've got two left. So it'll be 19 total does I freshen, which is a little more than I'd prefer. And I'm, I think my tattoo number is uh, 45. Shout out to Durafirm, let me tell you. Um, I think I, I, I've had quite a, I've only had one single two sets of twin, uh, two or three sets of twins total. Otherwise it's all been triplets and quads. So lots of kids. Oh, cool. Well, this is the end of this episode, guys. Uh, it was good having Mark Baden on. He's rubbing in the fact that he is killing it this kidding season. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here with a measly, measly two doe kids. Sounds like you had a great kidding season so far. Knock on wood that the rest of it goes well and everybody looks good for Redmond. Yeah, I'm uh, fingers crossed. So you came on ringside and talked about the 4040 trifecta. For the listeners who are new to our podcast, 
Do you want to give them a quick refresher on what that 40-40-40 is? Sure. Um, so the reference to 40 is in reference to the uh, linear appraisal trait scoring for three different memory system traits, uh, four-utter attachment, uh, rear-utter height, and rear-utter arch. And so uh, my concept and my breeding philosophy is in memory system, um, my breeding program, I have a, a memory dominated um, breeding philosophy. And so I'm going for the dimension and memory system that has uh, forward attachments with the length of lateral ligament uh, that would score above a 40. Uh, rear order height um, the, would be above a 40. And then rear order arch, the rear order width would also be above a 40. And that kind of correlates when you look at um, literature and dairy cattle scoring, um, that dimension memory system is correlated to productivity and uh, memory function uh, with higher lactations. Um, because it's sort of the philosophy of, you know, how much can, you know, you can't get a gallon of milk in a shot glass. And so you need to have that dimension, the extension of forwarder, the height and width of the rear order attachment. Obviously, you need letter depth as well, too. But but that's uh, what those three uh, 40s are in reference to that, you know, that's I'm breeding for um, memory systems that have those characteristics. And again, I, I would definitely encourage listeners to go back and listen to that episode, uh, kind of building off of it. 40-40-40, you said, was kind of the building block into what we're talking about today, which is uh, your 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. So what is this and what does it mean and how did it come about? When you look at at showing, especially like at the, the national show, the national championships for the American Dairy Association or like large state fairs or club shows that have a best utter. So the first place memory system may be in second or third place. Uh, but you might not win the class. And so a 40 trifecta may get you an utter placing or a best utter and show win, but you might not go grand champion or best in show. So obviously you need the other um, uh, other categories of uh, general appearance, dairy strength, and body capacity to complement uh, a productive and structurally correct memory system. So building upon the memory system, the, the other linear traits that we have, there are 13 primary linear traits, uh, one secondary trait, and then obviously there's structural traits. And so really, how do you build the dairy goat that works for you? How do you build, how, how do you create the animal that you want, that you want to look at? You know, everyone talks about, oh, breed the kind of goat that you enjoy looking at in the pasture. Or if you have a commercial enterprise, breed the kind of dairy goat that's going to make you money and pay your feed bill. Um, you know, so, so what is your goal? you know, what, uh, how to accomplish that. And so, so for me, um, looking at the other traits, you know, when are the resources that we have in our industry, predominantly from the American Dairy Good Association, the linear appraisal program. Um, so to use that in our functional type program, the five is, so five linear traits that score 40 and above. So we already talked about 40 trifecta. Well, obviously there's three memory system traits there, forwarder, rear-order height, and rear-order arch. Well, add to that. So for my breeding program in the Alpine breed, uh, which is one of the larger breeds as far as in size and scale, and one of the larger breeds known for milk production, um, it's uh, one of the more popular breeds that are in commercial dairies. 
uh, along with Sonnens, which is also another large breed, uh, 30 inch uh, at the in the breed standard at the weather. So for me, I'm I'm my goal for the five traits, in addition to the three mammary system ones, um, are stature and rump width. Now, so rump width a 40, um, and rump width would be an eight and a half inch wide rump. Um, now that's pretty large. It, it is possible. It's sort of a small. There's not a lot of uh, females at maturity that can reach eight and a half inches in width, but it's I'm not setting the bar low. So it, so again, these are scores that we're looking at for maturity at age four or older. Obviously, you're not going to have a milking yearling that's going to score um, in some of these uh, general appearance traits or body depth um, at such a high number because they're immaturity. And also in stature, we consider that dairy goats continue to grow with appropriate uh, care and management until age four. And that's the time in which the, a moderate defect of not meeting the breed standard would be imposed. So for me and my goals for my breeding program to breed dairy goats that are competitive, that I feel are competitive, but also that are productive, that perhaps their primary function, they're not going to be a show goat, but then their secondary function, I could at least um, sell them to a dairy because they are productive. This is what I'm breeding for, for does that have high production. So that way they have value with today's uh, feed costs. And we talked, you know, before the episode began, you know, about feed costs are very high right now. And, you know, it gone are the days where you can say, oh, it only costs 200 or $250 a year to raise a mature dairy goat. That's not the truth where I live. I, mean, <laughs> I was going to say my feed <laughs> bill is saying the same exact thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and so I'm losing money on, on a milker. I'm milking 15 goats right now. That's how many I'm milking. And, um, I've got to sell them for $500 or I need to get rid of them, sell them right away. And so for me, you know, I'm, my herd is on milk test and, and I'm not on milk test necessarily for the awards for the star star milker award. I mean, that's nice to have, but I'm on milk test to prove they do milk this much. They have persistency. In other words, they can get to this level and maintain this amount of production for two and three months. And obviously, when you sell a goat in a different environment, a lot of times they're going to milk a little bit less. But for me, if I'm selling to a commercial producer, I mean, I'm showing them my milk records and my butterfat, my protein and the semantic cell count to really show and, and, and a healthy animal and say, it's worth your money. Do the math. You know, it's what, 8.2 or 8.6 pounds to a gallon. You know, I mean, and so a goat that only milks one gallon a day is about 24 to 2,600 pounds in a lactation. That's why you want to breed for goats that milk 3,000 pounds or more in a lactation because they have value. Because in your hobby herd, Maybe they milk 3,000 pounds, but in a commercial environment, they're probably not going to milk as much. And I need to be able to show who I'm selling to. You can make a return on your investment um, within um, three to four weeks because this goat milks 14 pounds a day. She may not win the class at shows or, or fulfill my personal needs, but she's a good, um, healthy, quality dairy goat that can milk for a long, productive lifetime. And so she's worth more than $300 because I raised her for two or three years. And so, so 
it's very important that maybe if your hobby or if you're a hobby herd owner, not a commercial um, enterprise, but that still breeding for production needs to matter. And using these traits to really give you some benchmarks um, to see, is this um, the form that can function uh, efficiently and be productive? And so, so for me, I do breed for a larger scale animal. If I had overhouses like uh, John, maybe I wouldn't, that wouldn't be my goal. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put stature in, in the 40 range. I'd, I'd drop it down into the 30s. And so, so that's kind of it. But rump width, I still would go for the gusto. There, are, you know, Tagenberg is a, a 26 inch breed standard. There are Tagenbergs with, you know, over 40 rump width. There are. It's a, you know, very established breed. So you can have some of these other traits at the extreme end, even if you don't have a large vertical stature breed. So, um, so that's kind of the starting point. I have five traits. And so five traits in the 40s. So two of those are general appearance and three of those traits are memory system traits. Can I okay. just back yeah. up really okay. quick on that? So Toggenberg's Oberhosleys are Oberhosley are the height for their standard is lower than an Alpine, a Sonnen, a Nubian. And with that, is there a different number for that 40 for that rump or is it still that eight and a half inches no so that's uh um so on the appraisal program so to kind of start for rump width uh, on a standard braid goat uh stand a seven inch wide rump is a 25 score and so then every half inch is five more points so seven and a half inch wide rump uh, from the outside of the hollow of the thurls. So from thurl to thurl. So seven and a half inch wide rump is a 30 score. Eight inch wide rump is a 35 score. Eight and a half inch wide rump is a 40. Now on miniature breeds, Nigerian dwarf, the center of the trait is a five and a half inch rump. So a five and a half inch rump is a score of 25. And I can tell you that um, it, it's very regular occurrence. And when I, I'm a retired appraiser, and when I appraise it, you know, it, it's not uncommon to see 35 scored uh, rump widths on Nigerian dwarf. All the standard breeds have the same scale. Um, and then just Nigerian dwarf has their own scale for uh, rump width, stature, uh, teat diameter, uh, teat length, and um, utter depth and medial. Interesting. So, Let's start with because as you presented it as five, four, three, two, one. Let's mm-hmm. kind of break it down that way. Now you had five in parentheses, and and is there right. a reason for that? Or well, so again, this is the first time I've done a uh, an extensive uh, discussion on this. I've had private conversations with um, friends about this, but I, I guess the five could be five squared because there could be. And, and again, depending on what you want to breed for it now, again, my philosophy is that this works for um, Alpines and Sonnens, uh, Nubians. I also believe it can work for um, Lamaches too. Might be a little bit of a stretch, but so there's five traits that I want to breed for in the 40s. There also might be five traits that you want to breed for in the 30s, or so I have it broke down as 540s, 430s, 320s. And then there's one outlier. 
So that's kind of how I look at it. So the parentheses of the five, it could be five squared. So it all depends on where you want to put certain other traits. If you say, well, that's not realistic for me. Okay, that's understandable because honestly, if I had Oberheisley, that wouldn't, that wouldn't be my pitch to you. But the breed I raise, and this is what I, I do and my passion, and, and so this is how I present it. So, um, as we, so then we go to the 430s. So for that, those traits there, that kind of involves um, three different categories. Um, general appearance and rump angle, uh, dairy strength and the dairiness score, also dairiness, but also body capacity strength. And then in mammary system, um, we look at utter depth and uh, medial suspensory ligament. And so for some breeders, maybe they're aesthetic. What they're looking for is, nope, I don't want that strong of a medial. I'm happy with one inch of cleft on a standard breed goat. I want it to be in the high 20s. That's a choice. And so, so that's why I put the five in the parentheses. Maybe you want to have five 30s or maybe you want to have four 20s, that kind of thing. So that's, okay. that's make that down. So we have the five and then the four and three, two, one. Can we kind of just gloss over what those exact categories are? And then we'll kind of break, we'll have you break them down. Sure. So, so we talked about, you know, the five forties, those are stature rump width. And again, both of those can be difficult to accomplish, but again, it all depends. Do you want to bunt or do you want to hit a home run? <laughs> I, I mean, you know, take your analogy. It's fine. You know, if you don't want to swing for the fences, cause you don't want to risk embarrassing yourself, striking out. That's okay. I mean, it, but my thing is, is that I'm not going to set goals that are so easy that I can accomplish them, you know, while I'm sitting in the house and the doe has the kid by herself out in the barn. No. So it's some, some things take a generation or two or 20 years to accomplish. And so, uh, so for me, maybe some listeners may find that's overly ambitious. That's fine. You know, if, if you don't want to work that hard, you don't need to, that's Okay. Um, but this is what I want to work for in my breed and what I'm working on. So, so stature, rump width, reared or height, reared or arch, and forder are the 540s for me. And then when we go down the next in the 30 category, um, at 30 scores, rump angle, dariness, strength, utter depth, and uh, medial suspensory ligament. So those are the four that would score in the 30 range. And then it's kind of like, the again, this is breeder preference. Um, so to speak. So then three, so for me, um, three 25 scores is my goal. And they're all the three teat scores, teat placement. Um, a 25 score is a two thirds distance from the medial suspensory ligament. Um, teat diameter, um, the, the width, a standard breed goats, that's an inch and a half in diameter. And I, I think aesthetically, you know, a narrower teat is, is more pleasing. Um, and then teat length, which is a a research trait, secondary trait right now, it's in development. We've I've been scoring it for a number of years, but haven't gotten over the hump with CDCB to have it be a, a primary trait, but hopefully. So those three traits there. And then the only the only remaining linear trait that's left is rear leg side view. And so rear leg side view, um, you know, a lower number would indicate a straight leg. And so um to me, I kind of put that also um, in the 20s. That's kind of just my my two, where I'm not really looking for a set 25. And I know there's some breeders have breeder preference of a higher um, rear leg side view score. We'll talk about um, 
probably a little later, uh, an example, though, um, has a, a rear leg of in the 30s. And there's some accomplished breeders that I know that's really what their aesthetic is. And when I've watched them judge and when I when I look at the, the photographs of their animals that they post, um on social media um you know that's what they prefer and so and, and again that's breeder preference um if you want to have a, a higher angle to the rear leg about the stifle that's your choice and then the one i used to uh, i used to say oh you're allowed to have you know um one exception or you know kind of like if you're on a diet you get one cheat day um <laughs> you get one day to slack off but um but i kind of changed that and and i don't believe in that anymore there's no exception. It, this is a lot of work. You know, um, I spoke with um, my veterinarian last week about, um, we were talking about something and she said, you know, yeah, that's such a huge investment having a dairy project, you know, and wow, you know, that's so great that, you know, you you have buyers who are, you know, they're, they have young children, they're getting into dairy goats and that's such a commitment instead of having a, a, a beef animal or, or a boar goat. And, and yeah, and, and, you know, this is dedication as, as everyone listening knows, you know, you got to go out there and you got to milk them. And so to me, the one is, well, if you have animals like this and you have dedicated goals that you're working toward, you're probably going to end up in first place. So that's the one to me, you know, you know, you reach your goal, you know, you, you, you made it to that. You're probably, you know, be in consideration for first place. So that's kind of how I go through the, you know, there, there's a song, I think it's by AHA from the 1980s, and it goes four, three, two, one. So anyway, so that's kind of the presentation. So the one, the one is just like whatever hasn't been worked on that you might be weaker on in your herd. Is that is that if I'm getting that right? Like it's something that could be improved, but it's not your sole focus right now. No, no, actually, no. Um, I, I, to me, it's that, you know, if you're creating an animal of proportion and function and that is balanced and there's certain ratios, right? So in a number of our programs that we have um, in dairy cattle and dairy goats, you know, we look at different ratios such as the superior genetics, you know, we, we rate uh, production to type, type to production, um, but also in, in some of our like dairy strength category, um, you know, having enough dairiness angularity and femininity, but not being frail, but then we don't want to have too much strength because that would indicate coarseness. So you want to have a higher dairiness than you have strength. So I'm, what I'm saying about the one is it's not about your, your weakness, because I mean, these are all different traits that are, you know, you may have it in spades and you have a recessive trait and you you thought it was going to come out in the wash um, in the breeding and it didn't happen. I mean, so you're back to the drawing board. And so, uh, so the one is just sort of like the one is if, if you did all the other ones and you know, your breeding program, you'd probably be achieve your goal. And maybe your goal is coming in first, or maybe your goal is to be rewarded or awarded some other acknowledgement. I, I really like this. And I want to kind of touch on this. I believe it was your three category. I mean, I know we're going to probably go into it a little bit more in depth, but I want to point out something with that three category. And just because those are where it's, those numbers are 25, correct? Yeah. And so I guess, and I take this from, you know, I've, I've judged dairy goat shows for 31 years and 
and I appraised for about 10 years and having bred dairy goats for over 40. And, and what you see, and I guess I kind of look at um, a real impressive class at the national show was in 2021, I believe it was the Nigerian dwarf two-year-old class. It had over a hundred two-year-olds. And, and so how do you stand out in a sea of moon spots and blue eyes, right? <laughs> so, um, right so, so having moon spots and blue eyes may get you sales, but it's not going to get you acknowledgement or to be first. Or you have quad butt kids. And it's like, well, you would like to pay for your $35 bales of hay that you're having to buy. And you would like to sell one out of those four butt kids. Well, you need to have, you know, good trades. And so having having goals, having high standards, breeding for things. And then that makes your breeding program appealing to other people um, to improve their herd. And so, so for me, when I look at the, the, the teats, uh, the 25, so our scorecard says, you know, very clearly what the goal is for teat placement, two thirds of the center line of the teat when viewed from the rear, the center line of the teat to be two thirds of distance from the medial suspensory ligament. And and that, you know, you can read on that on page 150 of the um, guidebook. That's the memory system scorecard. And then also when it talks about teats, it says that teats, uniform in size of medium length and diameter. So medium. So when you look at the linear appraisal program, the definition of teats of medium length and teats, teats of uh, medium diameter, that's a 25 score. So that so our score it's not my preference it's in black and white it's it's not my bias and so so that is my goal now I will say personally my goal is I like to breed for a twenty to twenty I want teat diameter to be slightly narrower because I think I, that is more aesthetically pleasing mm-hmm. than a, than an inch and a half diameter teat on a on an alpine. Um, and so to me, my other philosophy is, and I actually had a, a customer email me this yesterday about goat they're interested in. And the question was, well, did I think that the teats were going to get bigger? And I said, well, she fresh in February 2nd. And I said, she's been in milk for over three and a half months. I said, I go, they're pretty much what they are. Now, you know, if you would have asked me, you know, oh, she just freshened last week. Well, they're probably going to get bigger. So my philosophy is, is teats, you know, before they hit, you know, peak of lactation, which when you look at CDCB and um, USDA lactation curves, we look at about 45 days in milk, right? For 45 to 90 days is where you're looking at for persistency. And then the lactation curve starts to gradually go down, right? Depending on where you live, you know, heat index type of thing. So when you get past the 90 days, that's probably the teeth that you're going to have. So for me, I mean, I, my ideal goal is, you know, I think that, you know, a teat diameter of a 20, but our scorecard says a 25 is, is a darn good score. So why not have that be your goal? Right. And I think about there used to be, and I don't know if it was the SOP or a marketing material for linear appraisal used to have this ideal range of scores. And that got removed because like you said, your goal is going to be different than my goal is going to be different from somebody else's. But in some things, those fives, you want the extremes, you want that rear utter height, and you want that 
um, the, the stature and the rump width, because that is what is good extremes for you and your hurt. But then some things that are those threes, you don't necessarily want as extreme. You don't want that if you, so just kind of a side tangent, um, if you go on to the ADGA genetics site, everyone, and you go to the type of vowels and you start looking at the, um, and there's other ways to see this too, but if you click on, let's say, teat placement, you'll see this scale and there's a five and then there's the 25 and then there's the 45. And so that 45, those teats are very, very close together. They're right on that medial suspensory ligament. If you go to the five, you can barely, in that illustration, you can barely see the teats. They are right on that leg. And so there are areas of the scorecard or the evaluation for linear linear appraisal traits, like, as you were saying, teat placement, where your ideal is probably going to be in the middle range and be closer to that 2025, because that is where we need to be, be just based on the nature of the linear appraisal and looking at going from the extremes to the middle. Well, and I think, and you bring up a, a real good point, Daniel. That is correct. That, that those ideal ranges used to be published and that wasn't always received well. And I think because um, the diff- that's the biggest difference between dairy cattle uh, classification and dairy goat when you look at Holstein or Jersey or Brown Swiss, they're very upfront and telling you what their ideal ranges are for every trait, for every one of them. And we haven't gone there in ADGA with our linear appraisal program. I do think that it would be very helpful, especially to, we have such a, a large emerging new membership market that is so hungry for information and literature. And, and, and when you are scoring and going to new member herds, you are asked every time, is that a good score for that trade? Or what is a good score? And when you're an employee to deliver the SOP, the standard operating procedure, it's, it can be, um, and I can only say this as an alumni now, um, (laughs) and, and in that, and some people would be offended and say, and I go, well, well, I can't say you breed for what you want to breed for. No, just tell me, just tell me. It's like, well, I'm not supposed to tell you because, you know, sometimes you would say, and then people get on social media and say, my appraiser said this, and, you know, well, they shouldn't tell you that. And so you can get your, your hand slapped often, but right. It's, it's a no brainer. Do you want to breed for a rear height? That's a 10 that's way down low. No. I mean, I mean, you're not going to win at a show. Well, if you don't show, maybe that doesn't matter to you. But do you really want to have an utter floor well below the hock? You know, those pitchers, they still sell that utter bra in Caprine Supply. I was going to say, the only person who wants us to breed for that is the seller or the maker of that utter bra. Yeah. And, and so, so right, it should be a no-brainer. You want to breed for a high and a wide rear utter. You should want to breed for a long four-udder. Now, there will be some people say, oh, four-udders are median. They, they don't milk. Mm, no, I'm going to tell you that's not true in all goats. You know? and, and so you just have to watch the goats milk out. But 
but experience will tell you that. So, so why wouldn't you want to breed for a 40 trifecta mammary system? If you don't want to, that's okay, but I do. And so I want to swing for the fences and, and have good achievable goals that are something to have pride in that you're helping your breed and helping the industry with productive animals. That is the one thing where we don't say this is ideal. However, when you read the scorecard and then you look at the the SOP and the charts for the appraisal program, it's in there. And so so certain things such as you know, a, a 25 score for teat diameter. Well, that's teats of medium length when you look at the charts and or medium diameter or our teat length, the 25 score. Well, that's two and a half inch long teat. And so, well, that's medium. Some things are very explicit um, in there. And then there's other ones that, well, what's an ideal dairiness score? That's what I was just you know? going to say. So, so that, and so dairiness is, you know, sort of been a catch-22 with the program for a number of years. And I know that was an emphasis item on this year's refresher session. And it sounds like they've got a real um, good modern approach on it um, that's being delivered. And um, and I think that what you'll see is the ratio when you look at, so we, we change from dairy character to dairy strength. And because the idea we want to let people know that it's not just, oh, you don't want to have skinny goats. We don't want you to underfeed your goats, but, you know, that they need to have some strength and, you know, will to milk. So that ratio of strength and dairiness, um, so that way you have femininity and angularity, but also a strong dough, but not a coarse dough. So that the dairiness score um, being higher than the strength score. And so I think that that's the kind of ratio that you're looking for. And so sometimes you would, you'll hear, you know, the sweet spot of dairiness a lot of times would be, you know, in the high thirties, um, but it'd be kind of interesting. Some employees would say that, oh, oh, if they, if it's a 38 score, that's, that, that's, that's going on the wrong side of, of, uh, of frailty. And um, it's like, but there's still 24% of the, of the range left. And because when you think about this, now, all linear traits are scored from one to 50. Uh, you can't get a zero on a linear trait. So all scores are from one to 50. And so every point is worth 2%. So if you're at a 38, it's like, well, but there's still almost 25% of the whole scale left. What's worse, a linear score and dariness of a 48 or a linear score of dariness of eight? Right. So, you know, when we have this on both ends of the scale aren't good, that's been an item, a discussion area for the the program and for the committee that um, they've taken a lot of consideration in the last couple of years. And there was a quality presentation given um, this year. And so I think that'll be um, a little more clear in the future uh, about that. I think it would be really nice for, especially like you were saying, the newer membership to have that ideal laid out in black and white, because let's face it, some people need to be spoon fed the material. (laughs) Well, you know, and, and see, I'm of the belief that why not, why not say it? But yeah. but you also have listeners who are going to listen to me say, what's he talking about? You know, why should I want to breed for, you know, over a 40 in stature? Or it's like, you don't have to. 
I just know for my animals, for my small herd, I'm not a commercial producer, but for me to be competitive with my my best competitors who are commercial producers, who are freshening 15 milking yearlings a year, and, and I only get to freshen two, I mean, I got to swing for the fences or I'm going to get cut. I'm not going to get looked at. And so for me to have satisfaction to go out there and the dedication to spend you know, $70 a day on alfalfa for two bales of hay, plus all the grain and all my time and all my energy. And it's like, you know, you got to try hard. And so for new people, when you're telling them, you know, when you're kind of hand, your hands are tied, it's like, oh, I can't tell you, you breed for what you want. If you want to breed for big teats, go ahead. If you want to breed for little teats, go ahead. It's like, no, but the difference in the cattle industry is, and, and that's our big thing. We have a lot of hobbyists who who do not have commercial enterprises. And so I think that's in part, it's like, so we, the association is saying, oh, well, we're not going to tell you what is ideal because, oh, maybe you hand milk. Oh, maybe you milk by machine. Well, commercial producers are all milking by machine, right? And that inflation cup's got to fit on the teat. So it's like, and, and dairy cattle, it is geared toward, if you breed for these ideals, you're probably going to make money. You're going to stay in the, you know, and you're going to pay it back because of data, you know. And so, so that's kind of where we are is that, well, because we have such a broad spectrum of hobbyists, brand new members who are new to owning livestock. And then we have professionals who've been doing this for decades, quarter of a century, half a century, you know, thorough experience. And they have their own belief systems and their own methods that they follow. And, and so we have a huge spectrum as opposed to you go into dairy cattle parlors and they're pretty standardized, you know, and dairy goat breeders. I mean, some people milk on the ground, some people milk underneath mesquite trees, you know, some people have beautiful, you know, stainless steel and concrete, you know, heated floored parlors. And so there's some people have rotaries, you know, there's not as many of those, but there's a couple. So we have a huge spectrum and we have a great diverse membership of 15 to 16,000 members, youth members, adults, and, and commercial enterprises. And so, so that's the one thing. We don't have a one-size-fits-all. However, these are dairy goats, and they should milk, and they should be productive. And the great thing about goats is, I mean, I, I always tell people, I go, goats can have three functions, right? You know, and so the first thing is like, well, she should fill a cereal bowl, right? You know, you should, <laughs> she should be able to milk enough. Even a Nigerian dwarf should be able to fill a cereal bowl. Okay, they they should. And if if your Nigerian dwarf can't fill a cereal bowl, uh, that's you know, I mean, maybe your cereal bowl is is big of a soup bowl, but I mean, again, <laughs> some standards, right? But um, so they're gonna milk, and if they can't milk, you know, well. You know, a lot of people, it's, they say it's naughty, but you can't eat them. They are livestock. They do, they do have a purpose. You know, there's lots of great cabrito recipes out there. And, or the third thing, they can be a companion animal. They can be a pet. I mean, I've got a, I've got a 14 year old pet out there. I mean, she used to be a show goat and she, you know, and now she's, her keep is my enjoyment. I like to see her every day. You know, I don't milk her and I don't show her, but so goats do have a lot of different um, options to fulfill us and, and what our needs are in companionship and, um, and food source and entertainment, right? A reason to go to the show, 
So, so there's lots of different options, but for new members, for 4-Hers and, and people new to having property and having livestock, right. It's, it's like, it's, it's this, you know, all these numbers and alphabet soup. It's like, what, I, I don't know, is this a good score? And so they understand what final score is. I'm going like, ah, oh, that's just the icing on the cake. But if you're a real breeder, five, four, three, two, one, you're in first, you know, I mean, if you really are going to breed competitive animals, you know, have, have a breeding philosophy, what are you breeding for? And, and so, right. I, I think having goals and maybe the breed clubs, that's a way for the, maybe the breed clubs, a, a, a way for breed clubs to reemerge and say, well, this is what we, we would like our breed to look like. Right. And so it's like, no, we don't want our Oberheisley to score 40 and 45 in stature. We want to be what our breed standard is. We want to be a medium breed. I, I have a, and again, being an appraiser is really can be real emotional. We meet such great members on on their terms in their own homes, and 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 some of our members have been members for decades. And and especially the Toggenberg breed and the change in the Toggenberg breed has really been monumental. Um, you know, a breed that only I mean, there are senior kids by uh, September state fair season. There will be senior kids who will be able to be twenty six inches at the weather. And that's what the Toggenberg breed standard is. And so we have some members who it's like they want to have their dairy goats. They want to have their breed that they've loved for, for decades, but they want to be able to physically be able to handle these goats. And, and so like I remember a, a member saying, where can I find genetics that aren't huge? Because I don't want I don't want to go to Nigerian dwarf. I want to have more milk than a Nigerian dwarf. And I for my back, I don't want to have that short of an animal, but I just want to have a medium, smaller Toggenberg, this breed I've supported and cultivated and loved for decades. And, and so you listen to the, and so you say, well, look at the numbers and look at the PTA for stature, because as an employee, you can't recommend breeding stock or breeding programs. And so that's one, knowing the numbers and, and, and having those goals is really important to have. Well, let's break it down even further, Mark. Even more. Touched on five. Even more. Number five, we already went through. Four, you presented me and I shared with Danielle an animal that fits your program here pretty well to a T. You also shared with me the uh, trait comparison, which I found really interesting. And you even have all of the breeds on there besides Nigerians. What would be the ideal for your number four on here? And let's kind of like break it down number wise and what's like really realistic for people that are that are listening in. Our performance programs um Emerita uh, Lisa Shepherd has um done a lot of work in, in past years and with some of the data and using linear trait scores and how does that correlate to production right so so again you can listeners can maybe think well that's his philosophy but do these do these traits really correlate to production and to milk and so the research project was okay well let's see what do animals score in um, rump width stature fore udder rear udder height and rear udder arch that at least have milked for, I believe it's 200 days in milk. So that's, 
and strength also. And um, and then that they've milked at least 3,500 pounds, um, 100 pounds of butterfat and 90 pounds of protein. So, so to get that kind of production, what is the average goat score? How big are they? How wide are they? How long is the forearm? That kind of a thing. So that chart, um, and that has been on the Adga website for years. I tried to find um, the link to it, and a lot of the links are broken um, right now. <laughs> um, but um, uh, I'm sure that, um, uh, that John, you can uh, attach in the um, comments when you post uh, this right. uh, podcast, yep. um, that chart, because it's an Adga publication, and it was um, it, it's public domain information. And so that's broken down. And, and when you look at that chart, you'll see, well, the... The commercial um, enterprise breeds, Sonnens and Alpines, they're the most animals that meet that criteria. Hundreds, right? And there are a number. Of, and then the third the third highest breed, well, guess what? Toggenbergs. Uh, I mean, Toggenbergs, very established breeding programs all over the country. You know, one of the um, longest recognized um, breeds of domesticated livestock in the United States is, is the Toggenberg Dairy Goat breed. Um, and then there are um, Nubians and there are, I believe, four Oberhasli. And so, right, so the bar is kind of high. So maybe you're not going for 3,500 pound lactations. But um, so there's the median scores for all those traits and then what the breed average is, um, you know, to kind of compare. And you see that the goats that by breed, they are typically are taller in stature. They are wider in rump than their breed average you know so so and that kind of so that's why so why breed for a larger scale animal well if you want them to have if if i'm going for 3500 pounds or 4000 pound lactation i mean you know and so for me the other thing is this 540s well yeah a goat like that well she needs to milk like 4000 pounds to kind of have her have a balanced mammary system to go with her body frame size you don't want to have this beautiful swan like long neck and you know freight train long body and deep body and this you know tiny you know grapefruit udder you know you you need a big basketball udder there right you want balance and proportion so if i'm swinging for the fences in my size and scale i need i need to breed for production and feed for it too you know i i can't wimp out on that I mean, biggest mistake I ever made in my young career, and I said such stupid things. I mean, I've said many dumb things, but I mean, I'm willing to publicly admit that to thousands of people here is that, you know, um, when I was younger, I said, oh, you know, I don't care about milk production. I don't have a dairy. So what does that matter to me? I could never have been more wrong. You're never wrong to breed for production. If I didn't care about production, I'd be having to sell my excess milkers that aren't show quality for $200 and I'd be taking a $300 loss. And, and that doesn't add up, not in 2023 economy. And so breeding for production, even Nigerian dwarf matters. They got to fill a cereal bowl. They don't fill a cereal bowl. They should fill your freezer. <laughs> That's a t-shirt. Yeah, well, and I mean, and I mean it. I mean, and and we need to we need to stop coddling this. Well, no. we need to stop coddling. These are dairy goats. Embrace production. Now, not necessarily how it was embraced in the 70s, you know, where we we're using the support bra all the time. <laughs> the best seller back then. But um, but but still it, they should milk and beautiful show goats can milk and the example dough um i mean it's just like a vision i mean i because 
John had asked me, well, you know, you know, scenes believe in kind of a thing. I go, well, look at this. I go and tell me this isn't inspirational. And that goat milks can milk 4,500 pounds. And she did it more than once. It wasn't a flash in the pan. She didn't milk over 4,000 pounds and fall apart. She did it again the next year. And I believe the next year again, you can do it. You can, you can breed these outstanding productive animals and take us forward to show that dairy goats are productive. Look at all, you know, World Dairy Expo or go to um, Tulare and and these presentations to convert cow dairies to dairy goats, right? These are these dairy runs of show goat people wanting to sell their excess milkers, you know, to these new dairies. Well, sell them productive goats, you know, because we need the never more than now has dairy goat products in, in the United States marketplace been more palatable and i can tell you from starting being laughed at and like you know goat milk and wanting to try and then it's in the best restaurants and and everywhere and health food stores and you too depending on your market where you live in your state you can sell dairy goat products easy off the farm you know and you don't have to be grade a in some states my state of residence i do but across the border in oregon no and so there's so many opportunities for youth and adults, 4-Hers and open class. And so breeding for production and breeding for structural correctness, it should be promoted. And if they don't, they have another purpose too. I love meat. So let's, hey, let's have steak. You know, it's barbecue season, you know, and so it, there's nothing wrong with that. I want to ask you. And I know we kind of talked about the dough that you sent over to us, but where are you in your breeding program at achieving this five, four, three, two, one? Are you, I, yeah, where are you in your breeding program and achieving that? Do you have a dough that's done it, several doughs? What would you say about that? Well, I have in, in my current um, breeding program, I have a six-year-old that is very, 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 very close. She has the 540s. She has the 430s. In the 25s, she has a slightly longer teat. She has a, a 31 in teat length. Oh, no. She's got to chop it off. Yeah, exactly. But But the great thing is, but here's the thing. You don't notice it on that goat. Because so when you look, because she's so tall and, and has a, her utter depth, when you look at that mammary system from rear utter height to utter floor from behind, the length of the teat is in proportion. And so you don't necessarily know it. But from a numbers game, when you just look at the raw numbers without looking at a picture of her, you'd say, oh, a little long. It's like, well, it's secondary trait. So I guess, you know, I get a pass kind of a thing. But yeah. no, so I, I have a doe and, I, you know, and I, she's been acknowledged. She's been best owned show a number of times. She's been a class winner at the national show. She's won a rose at, at, at a national show. Um, so I can't complain. So she, she's gotten some outward validation outside of my own personal philosophy. And then I have some other does that are close, but, you know, it's, and also when I look at, when you have to look at this, remember, you know, there's a standard deviation to everything, you know, linear scores are done by human beings. They're, you know, humans that um, 
they're not laser, you know, measuring devices. And so a lot of times when you look at, you know, between different people, you know, you can anticipate, you know, you know, plus or minus three points, you know, so we're looking for um, appraisers to go out to be within three points on a linear trait and within one category on a structural trait and, and one category um, in final score. So, so the example though, that I sent over is a beautiful son. And, and, and so when you look at her now, she may not have a 40 trifecta, but if you go like, oh yeah, but she was a 38. Well, a different person scoring her may see her as a 39 or a 40 in that trait. So you're going like, yeah, she's within parameter. So for me, I, and I can honestly say in all my years of breeding dairy goats, that over the time, you know, there's different benchmarks to go, oh, this is the best goat I ever bred. Or, and then it is a great accomplishment to say, Oh, you know what? She's better. And and I can say this, this doe in my current herd, I can honestly say is the best goat that I've personally ever bred. So can I ask you, because obviously we're in an audio medium right now mm-hmm. and there's no visuals here and we're talking about all these things, but for the listeners to have that visual reference, what is your doe's name that you're talking about? So this way they can see oh, okay. this compilation <laughs> of of it all kind of come together in a picture form. Yeah. And my doe is, um, she'd be the first place two-year-old with first utter, the reserve best uttered alpine at the 2019 Adga National Show in Redmond, Oregon. Olentangy, Yukon, tellingly. And it's not really a surprise because, you know, her paternal half-sister is um, Tempo Aquila Living Free, the highest appraising dairy goat of all time, final score 95. She was the national champion in 2015, you know, and had a really incredible memory system bred by Dr. Lorna Acton. And there's some other, you know, great goats that are related. So, so that's the doe in my own herd. And then um, the example doe that really, I mean, I had the privilege of judging this goat. It was a, a, a doe bred by uh, Stephen Considine, owned by uh, Scott Bice um, at Vineyard View in California. And um, just a real inspirational doe. Her name's uh, Sartar Gandalf uh, Titania. And when you're talking about, you know, we're in breeding or repeatability kind of a thing. Um, like that doe, I mean, I judged her, must have been the year after the pandemic, a lot of people were still wearing masks, I remember, but I just remember in the best doe and show lineup. And I just said, you know, that this doe is inspirational. And I mean, all I could think of was, wow, if I could just find, you know, a doe like that in Alpine clothing, or for you, Danielle, Nubian clothing, or John and Oberhase clothing, but oh my gosh, you know, you know, that would be something to incorporate and just so inspirational. I mean, I don't care who owns it or bred it or whatever, but to see it and say, yeah, that exists in our species, in our country, in our gene pool. You can make it too. It's out there. There are outstanding traits in in every breed, and it's just. But it's a matter of finding it and looking for it, and, and having conversations. Whether that's listening on podcasts or going to Anka Genetics or going reading articles on Journal of Dairy Science. It can be found and, and you can breed it too. And I want to see it. I don't care what breed it is because it's very inspirational. It's like, oh, I need to look at that. Look at that pedigree. How did, you know, what combinations, what line breeding? Because this though, I would say is a top five dairy goat I've ever seen in person in my life. But her maternal granddam is another doe that was really impressive. She was the um, 
2012, they had a national champion in uh, Loveland, Colorado. And so some of these things, there's repeatability. And we talked about this in the 40 trifecta podcast that, you know, some of these traits, you know, and heritabilities, um, you know, once you get them, hey, hang on to it, and then just add another trait to it. So, so when looking at some of these things, um, in, in different, more difficult to achieve traits, it, it's sometimes not a surprise that it gets kicked out in the daughter and the granddaughter. I, I have, like, as far as 40 trifecta in memory system, I mean, I've got a fourth generation doe that she's a 40, 40, 40, but, and, and, and so you just try to, you know, find different ways. It's like, well, I'm really trying to work on the rump. The rump width on that doe line is my struggle. And um, while I got a wider rump width, I lost stature. Now, maybe it was my management. Maybe I didn't do a good job kid rearing that year. You know, I mean, that's possible. You know, you travel, you have chore help and or you, you're lazy and you don't clean the pens every week. And so something happens. So, you know, back to the, you know, it's like, well, okay, so I need to work harder on the next generation. But yeah, that's how, um, that's how I kind of look at um, the repeatability on some of those functions, but as, but you were asking specifically about, you know, example goats and, you know, and there are other beautiful examples and there are other beautiful goats that have never been appraised. There, there are, go- there are beautiful animals who have these characteristics that have never been appraised and, but you can appraise them on the fly at a goat show or, you know, watching the live stream at the national show in some traits you can see, I mean, one goat that, I mean, I know, I mean, I saw her in person at least two times and an entire breeding program built off of this doe. And that's the preference flyer, Julie Mathis, Mint Leaf Herd. I mean, that doe, just phenomenal in the early 2000s, um, around what, 2009, 10, 11 era. And, and she had the scale, the rump width, the mammary dimensions, the dairiness, the strength. I mean, and that doe was never appraised. Who, that's, who cares? I mean, but she had it. And so recognizing that and, and some of these things you can, you can evaluate from photos or videos, but also repeatability and entire beautiful breeding programs for generations have been built you know, on, on these goats. And so, so, right. It's not just, oh, you have to participate in appraisal to be able to use this. Well, it's re- you're a, if you're a member of the association, you can read the SOP and just, you know, and, and so kind of, you know, right. take a hybrid approach to it. So, so in no way do I want to say that it's the only way because right. It's difficult to get appraised. We, we have a very limited number of employees. We can't get to the entire country. I mean, let's think about it. If all 16,000 members signed up, there's no way. I mean, there's only three, 305 days in the year. It can't be physically done. And so, and plus, who's going to be an appraiser? I mean, they need to have a life too. They need to be home and take, you want them to have goats. You want them, you want your appraiser to like right. and love goats and, and, and look at goats. And so they have experience, right? And, and, and so they have relevant experience. They have skin in the game. So it's, but you can read the SOP, you can read the scorecard, and then you can kind of take that and then put that, sit in the stands, watch the goat show. Maybe leave your goats at home, you know, one show and watch intently and and see what's going on in other breeds. I'll say from, in my experience, 
I really learned the most when I got La Mancha's, when I had a second competitive breed, because a lot of times it was like, I want this in my Alpines. Where can I find it? You know, it's like, you know, I like to show and it's like, well, hmm, why, why do I, you know, I've got the, these traits and La Mancha's, I go like, I need to have that in the other breed too, and vice versa. You know, there were things that, you know, it's like, oh, I need to improve this in my Lamanches. And so, and that's the fun, you know, finding traits, finding bucks that can do that for you. Right. So how do you think everyone should go about this? And obviously that's like the million dollar question here, but (laughs) should they work off one area as a building block and then check that off and move on to the next? Or should... Do you think playing with a bunch of different pieces all at once is going to get that results, put those results that they want quicker? What is your advice as they're building their own 54321 and trying to strive for those beautiful does that you are going to remember for all for your lifetime and know exactly who they are and those accomplishments? How do you work towards that? What's your best advice for that? Well, I, so I always, when, when I have inquiries from different potential customers, particularly when I talk, um, is, um, and, and they want to order a buck and, um, and I go, well, what are you looking for? And, um, you know, what traits do you want? And, um, so I always ask them for, because obviously, you know, you want a happy customer, you want good word of mouth, um, you know, advertising and, and you want them to be happy. Um, you want to know that you've made a difference for the better. And and so I always tell people, you really need to look, when they don't know what to say, I'll say, tell me what are the two things you need to improve in mammary system? And what are the two things you need to improve in general? What what in the body? You know, how are your kids doing at the shows? You know, John, you went to a goat show yesterday and you said your genes did okay. But, yep. you know, what, what, what two traits do you think you need to improve even more on your junior dose? So that way you'd win grant and reserve investment show. I mean, what are the two traits? And then in your milkers, what are the two things in, in the mammary system? So because when you buy a buck kid, you're not going to see that the differences that you, you know, how did you move the needle on your breeding program in a mammary system? You ain't going to know for two years because next year you're only going to have doe kids. And then another year until you have a mammary. And even then, you're only going to have milking yearling udders. What if you only like John? You only got two doe kids. You know, so so you've got to yeah. breed for the body at the same time. And and you know what? That's not too much to ask of an accomplished breeder to ask for two mammary traits and two general appearance. It's like, okay, so it's like, so in this case, well, what goes together, right? Well, so for me, with new breeders, it's like, um, okay, well, if mammary system, what do you need? Do you need rear udder or do you need forward? What do you need work? What do you need more? Like, okay, well, I want them to have winning milking yearlings two years from now. And I say, okay, well, I don't know how wide your goats are, but if they got too narrow of a pelvic structure, too narrow of a rump width, what good is having a super wide rear udder attachment if the mammary system, you know, if the rump can't house it. So certain things you want to go together. And, and so, or like lateral ligament, extension of the lateral ligament and forward or attachment. Well, if you have really hockey bad rear legs, well, that mammary system when view, and as Daniel, you know, as a judge, when you walk, watch those goats walk away from you and you see all this excess motion to the mammary system, 
right? Is that caused by the rear legs being hockey kicking that memory system, making it twist back and forth? Or is it because it has too short of a lateral ligament and there's not enough attachment to the body wall that's making that memory system move? So, so I believe that you make the most progress because when you're buying new genetics, it takes you two years. So you at least want to keep the kids that you did in the first year. And if you don't like the general appearance, if you can't at least have something measurable to show, that's like, yeah, well, I did get two doe kids. Well, what did you buy that? What did you buy that buck for? Did you buy him to improve rumps? And did he improve those rumps? Well, actually they are better. Okay. Well, at least that gives you reason to, to keep them and use them for another year. So that's kind of my philosophy is that you should go um, two and two. I'm kind of creeped out right now, Mark. I'm not going to lie because I had this exact same conversation with a friend of mine, Bob Bartholomew today about only having two doe kids and also about getting results from bucks and only having two doe kids. How fast can you really see those results? Also about the, it's it's like, this is insane. You blew my mind in these last 10 minutes because we also had a conversation about the animals that I've added into my herd and how the herd doesn't appraise, but how I looked at those animals in person at show at national show and also good quality pictures to assess what I think their traits would score at. Obviously I'm not an appraiser and kind of made decisions off of that. So I'm not going to lie. I might've gotten goosebumps and I, I don't know if you're hacking into my phone or computer. No, or that's not my expertise. Trust me. I, I can't do any hacking, but, but actually John, but you bring up a great <laughs> subject though. Um, so John, have you appraised just once or twice total? Uh, once I, I'm getting praised again this July. Okay, but so perfect. So right, you don't have to be an appraiser, but but what you do need, but anyone listening, you know, your whole goal, if it's your first rookie year appraising, re- please really read the SOP. <laughs> I mean, right. by the end of your appraisal session. You know, you may not understand the beginning, but all the appraisers are very patient and and very explanatory in the program. And they have a lot of pride. They've invested a lot of their time. They're away from home. And they they clearly love the industry or they wouldn't be doing it because they're out on the road getting sunburned and they're tired and they have to manage their own herd and their own personal life over their over their cell phones for weeks on end. And But your goal by the end of your session is that all these 13 linear traits, that you're going to be within 10 points, right? You're not an appraiser, but guess what? You should be able to say, okay, well, they explained this and, you know, like what Daniel said about T placement. Well, you should be able to understand when someone says a 25 score, oh, that's two-thirds the distance from the medial suspensor ligament. Oh, she scored a five. Oh, those teats are sticking way out. They're hitting the rear leg. Oh, she scored a 45. Oh, they're super, super close. Like cow teats, show cow teats that are pointed toward the medial. You should be able to be within 10 points. And then your goal for your second appraisal, John, this year is you want to be better. You want to reread that SOP. And you want to be able to follow along and you want to get like within eight points. And so you have, you get better understanding and you're fine tuning your eye with your understanding and your education of form, 
and the function and the scorecard. And then by the time you hit your seventh or eighth appraisal, you know, you have confidence and then you're not surprised. There's, you're not shocked. You bring the goat out because there's a lot of people I have to sort of laugh you know, they say, oh, I'm, I'm not going to score because, you know, I'm, I'm worried that my goats will get, you know, they aren't going to score as well as they should score. And I'm going like, what are you worried about? You have nice goats. They'll score fine. And say, well, and they're worried about personal preference. I'm going like, trust me, the appraisers want to score good goats. They do. They want to score good goats. I mean, they want to have being away from home worthwhile that they scored this goat or like, wow, look at this goat who's a five, four, three, two, one. Now other ones, one other appraisers wouldn't care about that at all, but um, I would, I'd say, wow, look at this goat. So, so that's one of the things where it, I think that if there's be understanding, it's like, Hey, you, you have a standard, you have high goals, you've raised the bar, you're achieving them. And this could be your reward by scoring well and and you're contributing data to the industry and to the breed and so i that's where i do find unfortunate because over the decades there's been some um, nervousness by some breeders that they don't participate in the program and and perhaps for good reason in the past but you know i think the employees that we have now are all very dedicated to do a good quality professional job and they want to see good animals and and they do kind of slow down if it's a newer herd that has some issues and you know and they're really trying to deliver the range because you know the best goats of all time you know that should score a 95 there shouldn't be such close parity with underfed, undernourished, non-productive goats. Those goats should score 25 points lower. They should. And, and, and there are goats like that out there. But right, so your goal, John, should be like, right, even though you're buying breeding stock from a herd that may have not participated in the program in the last 13 years. But nonetheless, you can take, it's like, well my goats have scored this and then this is wider. And so, yeah, that's about that. I'm going toward the right direction I want to go to. And so even if a program doesn't participate currently, but maybe they will in the future and hopefully because of your participation and um, that'll help motivate them to jump on. One could only hope, (laughs) but you're, you're right. And I think I would encourage everybody to also look at their animals Uh, Look at their past scores, and if you're getting scored again this year, what I did this year was I was like just off the cuff, oh, I want my 10-year-old doe to, you know, she was appraised at 8. I want her to hit 90. She was appraised 89. Well, then I went through and, quote-unquote, scored her, and I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think she's going to hit 90. (laughs) <laughs> like I just don't with how she looks so, this year and everything. So, but that's a great, but that's a great example. So you emotionally, so you have to kind of, that's why see you're emotionally going for the final score. You're not breeding, but, but does she have traits that warrant her to score a 90? Does she have, does she have, or is she deficient? I mean, I mean, I'm sorry if a goat, you know, at full maturity 
is only at 25 in rump width, 50% of the biological range. If she is only 28 in dariness, if she's only 26 in strength, boom, right there, you're going like, does that form indicative of 90% of ideal? Right. I I mean, so, so that's everyone wants their goats to do well. I mean, uh, you know, a funny example is, you know, members will say, we want good scores. I go like, but how about getting accurate scores? You know, isn't accuracy more important? Isn't the truth really more important? Because I have to tell you, you know, I remember my very first 90 and it was by Sheila Nixon and I was really surprised and I had the total wrong impression because I knew Sheila was this purebred French Alpine breeder and I thought, oh, I'm not going to do well because I have these pokey American Alpines and, you know, and this is, it was my very first permanent champion I ever had and, you know, and um, and the she did score 90. Now, by today's standards though, 30 years later, I'd say, mm, is that goat real? I mean, it's nostalgia. It's nice that she scored that, but does she really have by today's competitive standards? And you know, and things do shift over the decades, they do. Um, and and so I think that it's really important, like, you know, what is the caliber of animal in 2023 that is 90% of ideal? Right. And, and so our ideal hasn't changed. Our scorecard is still a hundred points. We've only changed, you know, three tiny things, tiny things. And the dairy character to dairy strength was no points. The only thing we've changed two points in stature was taken away and we chopped rump off of back. Okay, and so now it's super easy. And like even Danielle can speak to this from judges training, being a judge. So now judging, judging senior does is super duper easy. Everything's five points, right? Head breed character, five points. Front of assembly, five points. Um, uh, back is five. Rump is five. Then feet, legs, pasterns, right? So, well, you can go, okay, um, feet are five points. Front legs are five points. Rear legs are five points. That's 15. Everything's five. Right. All even. It's super easy. Same thing with, with then with appraising too. So it's kind of like, well, okay, what she scored? She scored an E in head. Okay, she's an E in head. Well, head and breed character. Okay, there you go. Shoulder assembly. Okay, shoulder assembly. She's a plus. Mm, okay, so you can do the math, and and so that's why having confidence and understanding and, and knowing the SOP, and then to be like. Well, yeah, this is a good goat. I know she's going to score, you know, and she's fully mature and she's milking or it's, this goat doesn't milk and you know she doesn't milk and you know you have to utter her up for two days. And so you're not surprised. Yeah, she's not really a great dairy goat. And oh, she only scored in the 20s in dairiness and she only scored in the 20s in strength. She probably isn't worthy of a 90 and that's okay. Right. You know, so so I I would encourage, you know, I think those are real great examples, um, John, that, you know, and, and, and looking, we all want our animals to do well. I mean, you know, and, and sometimes they're having a bad year, you know, and sometimes it's like, you know, maybe you need to own or option them because it's like, oh, it was cold last night and it rained and this goat's shivering and she didn't eat and she's not full. Well, if you can own her, if she was scored last year, then it's like, but then don't be upset with the appraiser for doing the right thing by scoring them how they were presented that day for where they are. And, and again, remember, 
it, it, it's their age and stage and lactation. And this is a functional type program. And, you know, function is, you know, the, our, our definition of function is, you know, being the ability to be productive relative to their age without significant detriment to their strength um, and soundness and dairy form and um, or their mobility into reasonable maturity. And, and so, so those are all different factors to kind of take in, in into effect, but certainly, you know, on the fly, even if you're uh, a first or second year member, you know, you can kind of like, you know, gauge, you know, after reading the SOP and then, you know, and then each year try to refine it and you know, ask pertinent questions. Uh, if you're watching an appraisal or having your goats scored, or if you're at a goat show and you're with friends who also appraise and you can say, would that goat score in the thirties or would that goat score in the twenties on this trait? And, you know, and that'll help you train your eye, you know, get the most out of sitting on your lawn chair at the goat shows, you know? I think that's a wonderful place to kind of wrap it up. Just a quick final, if you had any advice for anybody that just listened to this, got all of this great information, uh, what would it be? Well, I, I think that the number one thing is, what is your goal? And, and really set like multi-tiered goals and, and that they're realistic and give yourself some shorter term and then you know longer term goals and and i think that goal setting is really important because right it's not going to happen overnight most individuals are not going to be offering up 40 trifectas or this you know in an alpine or sun in a five four three two one kind of a goat you know on facebook marketplace for you to buy so you can start at the front of the line i mean it's going to take some time um, and, and so I think setting some goals and, and is your goal that you want to have a commercial enterprise is your goal that you want to do well showing is your goal that I just want to fill my family cereal bowls and make some cheese and, and make some ice cream, you know, what is your goal, but also that, um, you know, you have kind of a backup plan too. that, um, if your goal is maybe just showing, but don't forget though, that you can't keep them all. You're going to have to sell them and that always breeding for the primary function of what a dairy goat is, is you're never going to go wrong. That breeding for function and production is always a good thing. And whether that's a standard breed or a miniature breed. Agreed. Well, thank you so much, Mark. And if anybody wanted to find out more about you or the Olentangy herd, where would they go? Uh, my website's uh, olentangyalpines.com, and uh, there's also a Facebook page, too, for olentangyalpines.com. Uh, and then um, there's always some ways to get to me through uh, the Washington State Fair um, Dairy Goat, uh, Open Class Dairy Goat Exhibitor page as well. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mark, so much for being part of our Dairy Goat Awareness Week series. We were so happy that you took some time and we were able to pick your brain about five, four, three, two, one, and see the next steps and how we as an industry, as breeders can work to improve our animals and do it in a way that's, that's pleasing to our eye, but there's data behind it and there's ways to measure it. And this was just an episode that 
we, I think I'm going to speak for John and I, that we just learned so much and Mm -hmm. I'm excited to kind of look at my herd and see how we can apply this to my herd and how this will better my breeding programs. And that's just for me. So we thank you for taking the time to talk with us about this. Sure. And, and the main thing is, is, you know, when you're setting your goals, it's, it's, you don't have to use, you know, maybe you're going to do a, a five, four, four, one, you know, or whatever yours is, customize it to you and then, and then reevaluate it a year or two later and then say, yep, I still like that. Or it's like, yeah, actually, you know what? I've used the genetics that have taken me. I can now move toward, I want to breed for a five, four, three, three, or a five, four, three, two, one, you know, something like that. So it, it doesn't have to be set in stone. I mean, I'm going on my 43rd, 44th year in dairy goats, and I certainly didn't have these philosophies 40 years ago. And and so it just it's it's fun to see, you know, where each of us um, can take things and we learn from each other because of it. Perfect. Well, thank you again for joining us and everybody else. This has been another special episode for Dairy Goat Awareness Week. We'll catch you tomorrow. <laughs>